just a quick word about what our Bibles look like. Uh, it sounds a, a little morbid, but one of the greatest blessings is when I preside at a celebration of life service and the family shares with me the loved one's Bible, and it is falling apart. The, the binding is off. The pages are stuffed with things. There's notes and, and different things written through it. By um, There used to be a time where you, somebody would say, if you've prayed a Bible down, don't you set anything on top of it. It was like it was this heirloom, like we do with the, these big Bibles. You know, it was like this heirloom. And maybe the family Bible was a bit of an heirloom. You know, it had all the generations in there. But your day-to-day Bible, read it, write in it, mark it up. Make it love, well-loved and well-worn. And we're going to segue into reading from the Bible, which I do from my iPad, just, for, just to be upfront and honest about all that. I copy it in so the words are, the words are bigger because Bible fonts are not very nice. Um, but we're coming today as we continue looking at holy habits as the body of Christ. Uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28 verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We have been talking the last few weeks about holy habits, and we're going to be talking about them for the, uh, this week and the week to come as well, about things that we do in our lives of faith that maybe we consider to be Uh, tasks to accomplish or things to do, but really they could be more. And and as the more I'm exploring this topic of of habits and how they frame our lives, I I found this video. It's from an interview. Kerry Newhoff is a, well, he's a a Canadian pastor, which means he's super nice. Um, He's written written lots of books. I read a couple. I listened to his podcast from time to time and uh, been to an event where he was speaking. And in his podcast series, it's, if you want to look it up, it's episode 509. The full, it's an hour-long podcast. It's his leadership podcast. But he's interviewing um, Malcolm Gladwell. And uh, he's, Malcolm is a, uh, just a broad thinker and writer. And he shared his thoughts in a, in a conversation with Kerry Newhoff that, that speaks to the habits that we have in our lives. And there's a video of that. Maybe? All right, it's not in there. What it talks about, how about that? It talks about that, uh, I'll give us some background on Gladwell. He, uh, he, grew up in, he grew up in Canada too. It's really, you can hear They have like no accent, except they have a a Canadian accent. And he's talking about growing up. He grew up in both uh, Mennonite and Presbyterian churches. 
And his experience of that life among the Mennonites particularly was talking about uh, focus on kindness. And that kindness is not simply a trait. We think of people who are kind, and you might think of it as just a character trait. But he speaks to it as a habit. It's something we have to practice. You know, people are nice. Niceness is a trait. But kindness is niceness in action. Uh, that's, those are my words on that. Um, we have to do things to be kind. So to, to reflexively be kind, you have to develop this habit of, rather than saying, oh, that's going to take time. This is out of my way. Uh, I don't, it's just too much. You know, rather than all the other things that would normally come up as barriers to doing the kind thing, to reflexively saying, no, that can wait. This is what's important to do. Ha- kindness as a habit. I, I thought that was an interesting take in makes a lot of sense to me. And as we explore uh, these activities of Christ, as we explore um, today making disciples of, of new habits, of developing habits, Jesus was giving his disciples a new thing to do for them. This was a new thing to do. So in order to go from following Jesus and learning and watching and sometimes doing, to this new thing of they're the ones that are doing the disciple-making now. Jesus had been doing that all before. They were part of that, and they were receiving from it, but now they are leading it. So in order to embrace that way of life, they had to develop a whole new way of thinking, whole new way of being. And I, and I suggest that it's, habit, it's a habit. This habit of, I love Jesus and I want to share him. I've received the good news, and I think it's worth of telling. So today we're going to explore this, this holy habit of making disciples. Let me give, give some backdrop on Matthew 28. So this is the last bit of Matthew's gospel. It's after the crucifixion. It's after the resurrection. It's after some of the appearances of Jesus to the disciples, and he's getting ready to ascend to heaven bodily ascension into heaven and these are his final instructions first the disciples see him and and it says he they see him and they start to worship and jesus comes to to them they see him and they stop in my mind's eye they make it to the crest of the hill and there's jesus and they just drop to their knees and start to worship so jesus comes to them with those instructions to to do this thing these 11 Galileans, there were 12, but, you know, they're missing one now. Judas is, Judas is out of the picture. These 11 Galileans who Jesus has picked up along his journeys, he's made them his followers, he's been teaching them, he's been pre- sending them off two by two to practice making disciples and spreading the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. They've been practicing, but still they're in awe of this man. They're not, they're not uh, Levites. They're not uh, Sadducees. They're not any of the religious authority. But Jesus is giving them this mission. We call it the Great Commission. Sending them out into the world to make followers of all nations. All of this, we, call, we do call it, we call it the Great Commission. Um, Jesus gives a command with instructions and sends them out with the authority and the means to achieve it. How many of you have ever been given a task to do, but no resources and no authority to do it? If you're a teacher in this room, you could probably raise your hand safely, I think. 
And that's not a group. Nobody wants to be there. But Jesus gives them a mission, and he gives them the authority and the means to do it. And all together, we call this the Great Commission. And, and I started exploring the word commission a little bit. And, and, you know, at first I just thought this was a mission but bigger. You know, they added some letters to it. Mission but bigger. This is me growing up thinking of it as a word. But then I, I think, thought to think of it kind of like the way we use the word communion. It's uh, common union. With union. The word C-O in, in, in Latin is with or together often. So a common union, when we celebrate communion, we are in common union with God. So as I was exploring that word commission, I was thinking we are in common mission together. It's a, that's yes, but it's, there's more. Oh, there's so much more to what's going on there. In many ways, what's, and that's the word not from Scripture. This has been applied to the Scripture is what's going on here. You can think of this commission as as Jesus was giving them the spiritual power of attorney to go and to do in his name. But I, I, I love even more relating it to how our military commissions uh, our officers. They are granted the authority, uh, deriving authority, ultimately from the commander-in-chief when they are commissioned as an officer. Many of you know this. this is, and you can tell me more about it, I'm sure. They derive their authority from the commander-in-chief, from the, from the one above them. Jesus is giving us authority. Our authority to go and make disciples is derived from our, our heavenly king, our God, our, our uh, master, if, if you want to think of it that way. We're granted a share of his authority to go and to do all that he has commanded us to do. And that's a big ask. Because he uses this word, and, it's, and you see it in the Greek better than you see it in the English. Four times he uses the word, the Greek word for all. Twice, we're to make nations of all nations. Not some. All nations. And teach them all things. That's, that's a big task. All the things that I've commanded you. But then he mixes in these resources. All authority. He's giving it to us with all his authority, so we have a share in his authority. And then his presence. I will be with you always. I had to make that work in English, but that's where that, but in, in the Greek, that's the word all, all the time, basically. I'm with you all the time. He's always with us. It's a big mission, but Jesus gives us the resources towards its fruitfulness. But this mission doesn't just appear out of, out of nowhere. This isn't an altogether new things. I agree with many theologians and biblical scholars who see the Great Commission as an extension of Abram's blessing in Genesis. When God calls Abram, who becomes Abraham, he calls him to go out into the promised land that he's prepared for him to go and, and to lay claim to it. He says, um, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you are a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's a more generic version of the Great Commission. To go into the world doing all the baptizing, teaching, all the nations, all the things. 
so that all the, all the, all the nations of the world uh, might be made disciples. If we back up and look at that concept of, of blessing everyone, of all people, of all families, all nations. Families was, uh, was, would have been equal to nations uh, in Genesis 3, or Genesis, I said Genesis 3, I think, but it's Genesis 12, when that was written. The mission as a whole hasn't changed. The manner in which it's being, uh, being accomplished has. It began with a, a single family group, a people group, based around Abraham and his lineage, entrusted with God's blessing to extend that blessing to all nations. It shifts from that to incorporating people from every nation in order to extend that blessing and to bring reconciliation between God and humanity. That's the ultimate part of all this. That's the blessing, is to restore the relationship that has been broken between humanity and God. That's the, you could say that's the whole arc of the Bible narrative, from the fall to the restoration, from the Garden of Eden to the new creation, that's the God's pursuit of humanity to restore that relationship that he enjoyed with Adam and Eve in the garden at the very beginning. The very beginning, we, we, when we hear about the call and we read about God coming to look for Adam and Eve, you may recall this story. They're hiding. They've eaten of the, of the fruit, the forbidden fruit, and they're hiding because they know that they're, that they're naked. And it says God comes to look for them. And one way of reading is that God's coming to look for them because he knows they messed up. He's coming to find them because they messed up. The way that it reads in Hebrew is that God is coming to, to walk with them in the afternoon and the, uh, as he always does. The, the nature of the verb for it is it's an ongoing, repeated action. God had an afternoon stroll with Adam and Eve. That was his regular gig. He was in that deep of relationship with the first people. And the entire story of Scripture is returning that to, between humanity and our Heavenly Father. That's the whole arc of Scripture. And that's the whole thrust of, of, his, of God's blessing to Abram. And it's the thrust of Jesus' great commission to us as disciples, as his followers. We see that all nations stuff happens really quick in Acts. After the Holy Spirit has come, God's Holy Spirit descends upon the disciples. He speaks in tongues. All the people in Jerusalem hear him despite what language they speak. They're all, at that time, they're there for a holy observance. So they're all people of Israel. They just have different native tongues. But as Mina shared with us last week, we see Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. That's chapter 8. It's not that far in to the story, overall story of the first part of the church where Philip is delivering the good news to someone from Ethiopia. The ends of the earth, all, all of that happens right at the first part of Acts. But it doesn't mean we're done. It just means it's possible. And it gives them energy to go and do likewise, to continue to uh, expand and extend the good news of Jesus Christ, making disciples of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about the why. Because, you know, I think sometimes we need a why more than that Jesus just says to, right? I, I'm okay with that, but it's really nice to hear a why. Why do we go and make disciples? I think Paul addresses it pretty nicely. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ urges us on, 
because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died, and he died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for the one who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We no longer know him in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Look, new things have come into being. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made the one who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Making disciples is about reconciling humanity with our creator. That's our mission. That's been the mission since Abraham. It's the mission since Jesus was standing on that, on that mountaintop or hilltop as he delivered the Great Commission. The mission statement of our United Methodist Church used to just be making disciples of Jesus Christ, and it stopped there. And about eight to ten years ago, we added for the transformation of the world. Now I'm going to tread a little bit on lightly because in my humble opinion, I think we missed. I think we missed. Because, as I read it, my ear hears, we're making disciples of Jesus Christ so that the world will be transformed. Like, that's the purpose statement of it. It's not supposed to be, but that's how how it it can get interpreted from time to time. I think that's a wonderful byproduct. The world is transformed as as we make disciples, as we become followers of Jesus Christ. The world is certainly transformed, and that's a beautiful and intentional byproduct of it. But the purpose of making disciples is so that we may be reconciled to God. That's the purpose of making disciples, to be reconciled with God. And then all the other stuff is a beautiful and intentional byproduct of it. The world is transformed and it has changed. But part of it has to come from this holy habit of making disciples. And it has to be an intentional thing. It's not a trait. It's not just something we do. The, the people of Israel had simply tried to make, go and make babies and we'll continue our kingdom that way. Jesus says it's more than that. We can't just raise up the next generation. It's part of it, but it's not all of it. We have to go. We have to reach out. We have to, to welcome those into, into the community of faith. We need to share Jesus so that we can continue to make disciples, even as we are continuing to be made ourselves. There, I don't think there's anything as a, such thing as a mature disciple of Jesus. We're all at best maturing. It's an ongoing process. We're always learning. We're always growing. And another thing to consider too in all this is the disciple is more than a learner. Sometimes we, we see disciple and we just think a learner. But that word disciple holds the word you're learning, but you're learning not just from a lecture or from reading. You're learning from a lifestyle. You're learning from the lifestyle of the person whom you follow. It's the character traits. And this word was applied to uh, all over the ancient world. Greek philosophers, their students, um, Aristotle and Plato's students were disciples 
of Socrates. Well, Plato and Aristotle were disciples of Socrates. And it said that they learned more from his character than from his words. So a disciple is someone who takes, not just learns the lesson, but applies it, watches and learns and puts it into action and lives accordingly. And that's to say that everybody walked in step. Plato and Aristotle were very different philosophers, if you know their work. I don't know very well, but I know enough to know that they're different. doesn't mean we're in lockstep, but it means we have learned from the same. And not just the lessons that were taught with words, but from living. We're called to do the same. And that's why the word Christian is, is a little, means little Christ. We're to be imitators of Christ. Imitators of Jesus so that the world sees us. And as we share words of faith, our lives line up with those words and they can learn from a greater picture of that. Again, we're lesser, we're lesser images. We're not perfect of Christ. And we're not going to be in lockstep with each other even. But we can do our best to share in that common mission. I'm going to use that this time, our common mission. And that's part of the beauty of making disciples. It's a big task. We're still taking all nations, all things. That's a lot to ask. But God gives us each other. I don't interpret what Jesus says, I will be with you always, metaphorically, but there is a metaphorical part to it. I believe that he is with us. I believe that. We sang that in one of the songs, actually. But I think there is a metaphorical aspect to it as well, because he gives us his body. Paul calls the church the body of Christ. He gives us each other to be in that task as one people. So that we can join in this intentional habit of making disciples together. Extending the love of Christ through all the other means of faith. So that others might come to know Jesus as we do. So that we might continue to grow in faith. And so that others might come to faith as well. The habit of making disciples really comes back to the habit of being one. As we are being faithful disciples of searching scripture, of being, um, spending t intentional time in prayer, intentional time in worship, uh, intentional time in community with one another. As we do those things, it builds up within us this energy and excitement, this joy, this joy that we can't keep in, that we must share. Now, it is this thing that comes up and it comes out of a lifestyle, but then we have to do something, we have to direct it. Through the life of the church, we have opportunities to extend faith and share faith and grow in faith, to mature as disciples as ourselves, but also to welcome and invite others to come and be a part of this great cycle of disciples making disciples who are reconciled to God, who transform the world, who, who follow Jesus, and, who, and Jesus is at the center of all that we are. May we join in this habit, this holy habit together. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, there are no small calls from you. You call us, each one, to explore, to share, to go, to make, to teach, to do, and different things. And sometimes the, the tasks themselves seem small, but the call itself is big. But you give us help. You give us help of your authority and of your presence and of one another. Lord, help us to take that step, to do what you would have us do as we grow in faith ourselves, but also as we help others to do the same. And we ask this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.
Amen.